Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. <clears throat> Luke chapter 9 is where we're going to be today. And, uh, you know, the encouragement for each of us is, uh, is we dive into the Word, and we started in the Gospel of Luke uh, back in December of last year, and we'll finish, Lord willing, by Thanksgiving of this year, no lie. Uh, but we want you to study the Word. We want you to meditate on the Word and uh, memorize Scripture. Grass withers, flowers fade, but the Word of God remains forever. We're told in Scripture that the Word of God is sharp and it's alive. And uh, it is, it's such a powerful thing for us, right? Even if you go back in Jesus' day, uh, the interesting thing is that all these kids, by the time they turned six, they would go to a, uh, a synagogue and be under a teaching rabbi, and the place they would go was called Bet Sefer. Bet means house of, Sefer means the book. So they would go to the house of the book and learn Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and uh, they didn't have the iPads and the iPhones and pens and pads back in that day, but they had an old slate that they would write on with like a piece of chalk, and so when the rabbi would uh, speak the word, the rhema of God, they would write the sayings of God on the slate, and, and, and the rabbi would oftentimes take honey and honey was the number one delicacy of that day. Like, you want to talk about a treat for a kid. It was made out of the dates there in Israel. But they would take the honey, the rabbis would, and they would squirt it on the slate that the kids would write on. And, and the rabbi would say this, taste the honey. And they would lick. And the rabbi would say, God's word is sweeter than honey. And even David would talk about the word of God being like a honeycomb. And so can I tell you, if you're privileged to have a copy of scripture, you have been given something more precious, even more delightful, even a greater delicacy than any food that you could imagine. You've got the sayings of God and the word of God. So we should study to show ourselves approved unto God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed of the word of God. All scripture is inspired by God and it is given to us. And so I pray as we go through the gospel of Luke that you would be spending time uh, day after day, morning after morning, uh, meditating and uh, memorizing and studying the word of God. Make that, your, uh, make that a habit and a discipline uh, that you, you form in your life. You'll never, never regret it. Father, as we uh, dive into Luke chapter 9 now, I pray in the name of Jesus that every heart would be open to you. Every guy and gal in this room, Lord, with the many that will be watching online, I pray in the name of Jesus that the posture of our heart would be, Lord, show us what you want us to see. Lord, reveal to us what you want me to know. Lord, let me have fresh eyes to see. Lord, you, your truth, and Lord, help the resolve of my heart be yes. I want to obey you. In Jesus' name, I pray over this body, and I pray for, that the word would go forth and that you would use me as a servant and a messenger in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're taking notes and want to write uh, a few thoughts down out of the gate, 
I, I would share this with you. Uh, a true disciple of Jesus Christ, a true disciple of Jesus, and the word disciple in the uh, in the Greek and Hebrew would be the word Talmud. It meant an apprentice, one that would walk in the dust of the rabbi that was teaching. A true disciple is a person who follows, worships, obeys, and submits their life in devotion to Jesus Christ and his kingdom agenda. So when you think of a disciple, a man, I'm I want to know God, walk with God. I'm, I'm going to obey him. I'm going to do everything I can to allow my life to be pledged in devotion to him and whatever his kingdom agenda is. Another way we would word discipleship is this, John Mark. We would say a disciple is being all I can be and the best I can be for the glory of God. It's like I want to be all I can be and the best I can be. A disciple maker is helping others be all they can be and the best they can be for the glory of God. So the resolve is, Jesus, you're my king, you're my Lord, you're my authority, you're my teacher, you're my savior, you're my Lord. Jesus, you're, you're it. And so the question, the question you've got to ask is this, is that true about your life? It, 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 is that true about you? Is Jesus your Lord, authority, master, the teacher, the lover of your soul? Do you wake up every day and, and just submit saying, Lord, I want to be all I can be and the best I can be for your glory? Does that describe you? As we look back on Luke chapter 9, Benji, as he taught last week, Jesus took his disciples, the 12, to a place called Caesarea Philippi. And while he's there with these disciples, he looks at them and says, again, the pluralistic place that it was, it was flooded with paganism, the worship of Baal, the worship of Pan, all the stuff that was happening in Caesarea Philippi. And Jesus looks at the disciples and says, uh, who do people say that I am? And then he says, how about you? Who, who do you say that I am? And what Jesus implied was, what are you going to do with who I am? And Peter would blurt out, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus would say, Peter, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you. My father in heaven revealed it to you. What are you going to do with who I am? I, I, I am the Christ, the son of the living God. Are you going to trust me? Are you going to follow me? Are you going to serve me? Are you going to lay your life on the altar as a living sacrifice and, and let it be about me? And that would be the question today. Am I really going to trust him and serve him and, and follow him and allow him to call the shots in my life? Reality is, it's hard, right? Life is hard and life is a struggle and there's a lot of tension that we face every day. Man, it's hard, Tim, to be a disciple. It's hard to allow him to call all the shots. I mean, there's so much pressure and temptation and chaos around me and I mean, marriages get fragile and friendships and relationships can get sideways. And, but is the resolve of your heart to keep showing up and saying, Lord, I release it to you. I release control to you. I, I, want, you, I, I want you to be my authority. We even look back at Luke chapter 9 and starting in 23 through 25 when Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, if anyone, Whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. If anyone 
will call on my name, if anyone will really come after me, and that phrase literally means, are you willing to come with me? I would write this down. Are you willing to come with me and live life my way? That's what that phrase means. If anyone would come after me, not just like saying I want salvation so that I, I'll pray a prayer so that I don't have to go to hell. That's never, Jesus never taught that. He goes, do you want to come after me? Do you really want to live life the way I want it lived? You've heard it said, Matthew captures this in the Sermon on the Mount, but Jesus says, but I, but I say to you, are you tired and weary and beat up with religion? Come to me and I'll teach you the unforced rhythms of grace. Do you, do you really want to live life my way? Then you have to deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow me. And our personal cross basically represents anything in our lives, anything in my life, in my flesh patterns and twisted thinking, maybe that I have, it represents anything in my life that would hinder me and keep me from becoming a disciple and experiencing spiritual growth and maturation. And over the years, God has had to crucify so many things in my flesh to say, that's a hindrance, bro. You've got to give it up. That's a hindrance, your attitude, that action, whatever it is. You, you, you've got to be willing to confront those things. And, 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 and I make this promise to you. God loves you so much and cares so much about a relationship with you. And he's been pursuing you. And he wants you to know him that if you stop and go, God, what are the things in my life that hinder me? What are the areas of temptation? What are the flesh patterns that I step into that prevent me from really being your disciple? God is so kind that he will reveal that to you. He wants you to know him and walk with him, and he will allow you to see through the power of the Holy Spirit what those things are. He says, now, I want you to deal with those and take up your cross, and I want you to follow me daily. And follow daily means the posture of our heart should be absolute surrender, complete and willful obedience. It's motivated by this passionate desire to say, I want to be all you want me to be. I mean, Steve, that's what God is calling us to. The resolve is, my will is to, to, to know you, Jesus, is to walk with you and obey you. And I, I want to know your voice. And when, when you speak, I want to respond to your voice. Jesus would even say, hey, my sheep, they know my voice. And they listen to me and obey me. Well, how do I get to know his voice? By spending time with him every day. And the more time you press in and you start to recognize, I know the voice of the Lord now. He wants to speak to us throughout the day. Like, how, how, how did you teach your kids to sing? We just sang, and, and, and we learned to sing together. How, how do I recognize your voice? You just, you've got to keep pressing in. You know his voice? You know when he's speaking to you? You know what he sounds like? Do you respond to him? It requires consistent time. And, and, and as we start to walk this out and spend time with the Lord, we come to this realization that my life is not about me. My life has never been about me. 
I had this conversation with Caleb and Hannah and Cody the other day, and I said, do you know what the secret to life is? It doesn't belong to you. It is a gift from God. When you start to walk with the Lord, you go, uh, my life is not about me. It's not even about what my idea of walking with you is. A lot of us need to crucify our idea of what it means to know God. Well, I've been in church all my life. Great. You can be in church all your life and not be in Christ any of your life. There's a lot of people that have grown up in church that have not grown up in Christ. And and we have to make sure that whatever our concept and view of God is, is consistent with who he is. And he goes, hey, you realize that I'm going to call the shots if you come to me. You realize that denying yourself means that you're going to have to give up control, that you're going to have to deal with some of these flesh patterns and you're going to have to get out of the, the driver's seat. You realize that. So my question is to you guys, will you really follow me? That's what Jesus posed. I believe in you. You've got what it takes to become like me if you will allow me to take over you. Will you follow me and will you count the cost to truly be my disciple? Imagine even the question, Joseph, being posed to these guys out of the gate and Jesus has already prophetically spoken about his up and coming crucifixion and death and he's basically looking saying, Does the reality of me being killed and crucified and murdered, does that frighten you? Yeah, it's kind of trippy. To be honest with you, it's real trippy. So you realize that what is going to happen to me is probably going to happen to you. So I'm going to be brutally shredded and murdered and killed But if any man come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. And you realize following me, yeah. In 10 out of the 11, Judas hangs himself, dies, martyrs, death. He's basically looking at the disciples saying, if you want to bolt and run, now's a good time to do it. And a lot of us, when we face tension and adversity, we want to bolt and run. That's part of the flesh pattern. Man, I I just got to run. And he goes, uh, y'all going to bolt? Y'all going to run from me? Y'all going to leave me? Remember in John 6, even when Jesus said, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you can't have any part with me. And it says that many of those disciples that were hanging out with Jesus left him. And he looks and he goes, are y'all going to leave me too? And Peter goes, you've got words of eternal life. I'm hanging with you. I'm staying with you. As tough as this teaching is, I'm not going anywhere else. Here's one of the things that I think we must understand in the Southern culture. Listen to me. Jesus is not looking for acknowledgement. He's requiring allegiance. The demons believe and they tremble. We live in a culture when if you're hanging around talking to people, people go, well, I acknowledge God. I believe in God. Jesus never asked us to acknowledge him. He required that our allegiance be in him. Where's your allegiance? And if you study the gospel according to Jesus, 
you've got to scratch your head and ask the question, how many churches in our nation would have Jesus as a guest speaker? Because he's called us, as Nick was talking about in ministry and Dustin was talking about in ministry, he's called us to be ministers, which means to serve. But we live in a church, a, church, a, a, a church culture today where we don't see a lot of ministers, but we see a lot of many stars. He hasn't called us to be a mini star. He's called us to be a mini star. To steward the things that would represent and honor him. I can't deal with everything here in Luke chapter 9 today. There's too much. But there's a few things I want to hit. Starting in verse 28, okay? Starting in verse 28, who do you say that I am, all this? You're the Christ. We pick it up in verse 28 where it says, Eight days later, Jesus took with him the sons of thunder, Peter, James, and John. That's the nickname that they are kind of given and referred to. And I believe this thunderous occasion here is where we find that, that name. Because of the Mount of Transfiguration, that's what we call it. Peter, James, and John were taken with Jesus up on a mountain to pray. And as Jesus was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed. His clothes became dazzling white. You can study that on your own. A lot of cool uh, biblical significance there. But while Jesus is praying and his face is just like radiant, it says that two men appeared, Moses and Elijah. And they began talking with Jesus, and they were glorious to see all three of them were, Moses, Elijah, and Jesus with this radiance. And they were talking and speaking with Jesus about the upcoming exodus, where he was going to leave the world in Jerusalem. And we'll deal with Jerusalem in a few weeks. It's very powerful when you study even the city of Jerusalem. Jerusalem is the most famous city in the world. Over 850 references in Scripture uh, are, are pointing to Jerusalem. Jesus will go to Jerusalem. He will walk the Via Della Rosa. He will die a criminal's death. He will be placed in the tomb. And on the third day, he will gloriously raise from the dead in Jerusalem. The second most popular city outside of Jerusalem in scripture is Babylon and it's mentioned maybe a couple hundred times. Jerusalem is important. We'll deal with that in a few weeks. Peter and the other disciples had fallen asleep. When they woke up, they saw Jesus's glory and the two men standing with him. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter, not even knowing what he was saying, blurted out, Master, it is wonderful for us to be here. Let's make three memorials here, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And as he was saying this, a cloud overshadowed them and terror gripped them as the cloud covered them. Then a voice from the cloud said, this is my son. This is my chosen one. Listen to him. Hey, let's make three memorials here. Man, we've got you, Jesus. We've been hanging with you for a couple of years. Mo, oh, Mo has appeared here. Moses, he represents the law. Oh, how cool to have Moses here. We've got Elijah who represents all of the prophets. We've got the gospel. We've got the law. We've got the prophets this is so cool. Let's camp out. And God says, stop that. 
The law couldn't save you, and the prophets couldn't save you. This is my chosen son in whom I'm well pleased. This is the Christ, the anointed one. You want to have three memorials. Jesus is not one of the three. He's one of the one. This is my only begotten, one of one's sons. Listen to him. When you sit there and ponder that, the law can save you. No, what God gave Moses was to protect his people, was still to reveal heaven's heart, to show that I'm a loving father and I care about you. God started raising up the prophets, right? He starts raising up one prophet after another. First Samuel 8, man, we want to be like the other nations. We want an earthly king. We want a voice from God. I'll, I'll, I'll give you Saul. David comes. All the other prophets end up showing up. Now, Malachi spoken 400 years later. God's been silent. He goes, y'all got a prophet and a king right here? He is one of one. Listen to him and follow him. Let me sidetrack. Nothing prepared here. This is important. It's so, so important. Rick and I got into this conversation years ago. Nathan, this is so important. You remember Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer representing the Pharisaical sect comes to Jesus and says, according to the law of Moses, what is the greatest command of all commands? He says, to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself. All of the teachings of the law and the prophets hang on these two teachings. Great. Who asked the question? A pharisaical lawyer. What was the question? What is the greatest command according to the law of Moses? He said, love God, love others. That's where we stop. That's not where we stop. Then Jesus looks at him and asks the question. How many of you in this room right now would be honest with me and say, I love God 24-7, 365 with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I love my neighbor like I do myself. How many in this room are pulling that one off? <laughs> then Jesus asked the question. Sadducees have punched him. Pharisees have punched him. Oh, this guy dies and he, you know, his brother marries his wife and then... That brother dies. Whose wife will he be? Y'all don't even believe in the resurrection. Punching him, jabbing him, trying to, trying to take him down. And Jesus asked this one question. I've got a question for you guys. Regarding the Christ, whose son is he? You want to live according to the law of Moses and follow the prophets? Jesus asked the question in Matthew 22, starting around verse 41. Regarding the Christ, whose son is he? Well, if we say he's the son of David, and if we say he's the son of Joseph, that, that's right. Even using that argument, it would still be fallacious. Why would it be fallacious? Because God has declared, this is my son. Follow him, worship him, serve him, listen to him. You want to follow the law? It won't save me. So God has declared, man, he's my son. Then you pick it up in verse 46. A few other things happen. 
And then you see the disciples, man, this is just like days later. They're sitting in this little holy huddle, and the disciples began to argue and discuss and debate amongst themselves. Hey, man, which one of us is the greatest? <laughs> Do what? He's taking you to Caesarea Philippi. Peter, you even declared, man, he's the Christ, the Son of God. He took three of y'all up on the Mount of Transfiguration. God goes, this is my boy. And now the 12 of you are going to sit in a holy huddle and take a posture of pride on which one of you are the man? Which one of us is the greatest? Which one of us is most favored? And I was just pondering that going, man. He brings a child and he says, unless you humble yourself and become like a child, you, you can't even have a part with me. Guys, I'm trying to transform you and reprogram you in your thinking. You've got so many flawed perceptions about life and who I am. And your, your thinking's wrong about even what the Messiah is going to be like and what the Messiah is going to do. And your, your, your thinking's all jacked up when it comes to what it means to follow me. I mean, you guys have spent about two plus years with me and you, you've sat underneath my servant leadership and they had a lot to learn. They were in process. You ever feel that way? I've been walking with the Lord for 37 years and I go, man, I got so much to learn. I'm still in process. You ever felt like just throwing in the towel because you didn't know more than you knew? Aren't you glad they didn't? Aren't you glad you didn't? Yet you ever feel like you ought to be further along than you are and you're just so frustrated? And God goes, stop, I'm not done with you yet. Being confident of this very thing, God says, if I started a good work in you, I'm going to be faithful to complete it. And I think God allows us to glimpse at these disciples to kind of give us hope to go, these dudes were with Jesus. These guys had seen him raise Jairus' daughter. They had seen him interrupt a funeral. They had seen him stop the storm from raging and just speak the word. Even the winds obey him. They had seen him take water and turn it into wine. They had seen him feed 5,000 plus. Oh, wow. You throw me a bone with one of those things, man, I think I'm all in and not forgetting. Not true. We've seen the miraculous take place around us. We've seen God do things in our lives, and we still question him at times. Hey, do me a favor. Extend some grace to yourself. He's not done with you yet. Pride will hijack you and will hijack me just like it was hijacking these disciples. And, 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 and do yourself a favor. While you're extending a little bit of grace to you to permit the Lord to maybe grow you in these next days and weeks, why don't you extend a little grace to your neighbor as well? They ain't got it figured out either. When you look at people around you, they're struggling. When you see people, man, that stuck together for whatever reason, and you look going, man, I wonder what their narrative is. When you've got relationships hanging on by a thread, marriages, and just things get so fractured and fragile, extend some grace to yourself. God is, and we would be wise in doing so. Now, I'm going to wrap it, wrap it up with the last five verses, and when I say I'm wrapping it up, does, doesn't mean I'm wrapping up right now. I got quite a bit that I want to talk about here. 
Then these last five or six verses that we, we, we have here in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus is challenging those that would follow him to eliminate excuses. That's what he's doing here. You got to eliminate excuses. Excuses are a dime a dozen. Excuses, man, hijack so many of us as well. Hey, and Jesus is basically saying, Rachel, Jared, listen to me. If you're really going to follow me and be my disciple, the first observation I would make is this. You will be rejected by the world. If you're going to truly come after me and follow me, you're going to be rejected by the world. Embrace it. I'm going to be rejected? Yeah. Verse 57 says, as they were going along the road, someone came to him and said, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus like, really? You're going to follow me wherever I go? Foxes have holes and the birds of the air, they have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. When you study the ministry of Jesus, he never... He never glamorized what following him would look like. He didn't paint up this easy, glamorous kind of portrait saying, oh, come with me. You'll never have any more pain and you'll never have any more suffering and you, you will never have any more sorrow. Come to me and receive me and you'll be immune from all the crap in the world. He never says that. If anything, Jesus lays it out right out of the gate. If you really come follow me, I can promise you it's not going to be easy. And if you say that you're going to follow me, I'll go wherever you want to go, Lord. I'm, I'm locked in with you. I'm with you. He goes, uh, your walk better match your talk. You talk a good game, but uh, you, you got to ante up. And what we see so often in churches today is a trivial kind of gospel being presented. It's like, just pray a prayer, dude. You'll be good. I've prayed the prayer so many times. I know the prayer. The prayer didn't save me because the posture of my heart didn't change. I'm going to follow you. Jesus, what did you do? You exposed this guy. And you basically went at him and said, you have got to realize that following me is not about being comfortable or about being complacent. If you're addicted to comfort and complacency, you're not going to be my disciple. John Ortberg made this statement. He said, the decision to follow Jesus and grow spiritually always involves a choice between risk and comfort. To be a disciple of Jesus, you must renounce comfort as the ultimate value of your life. I mean, I hear that and I go, yes, that is the gospel according to Jesus. You've got to renounce comfort. You've got to risk it all. And I have to ask myself this question, what does my life reveal about my faith in Christ? What does my life reveal about my faith in Christ? Does it really show the obvious fruit of a redeemed life that's walking with the Lord and abiding with the Lord? Ask yourself the question, what does your life reveal about your faith in Jesus? What, what does it reveal? 
Following Jesus is about Jesus is not about me. Following Jesus is the fight to daily surrender. Following Jesus is about understanding this world is not my home. This is not it. We live in a culture of me-centered Christianity. Stop. We live in a culture of me-centered Christianity. If you ask most people, why did Jesus come? Why did Jesus die on the cross? Why did he do it? I've heard this like realm of thinking for years. Well, why did Jesus come? He, he, he came to save me. Really? He, he came to save me? Oh, he came to make me a better person. I'm telling you what, man, if you come to know the Lord, he will give your life meaning and purpose. Oh, so it's about you and it's about me. Oh, Jesus came to set me free from my chains. Jesus is here for me. I mean, he said in Matthew, all I got to do is just ask and I will receive. Can I announce to you that the cultural gospel of meism is bogus? Jesus, why did you come? I came to glorify the Father, John 17. Father, I've glorified you by accomplishing everything that you sent me to do. So you came to glorify the Father? That was your ultimate aim? Yes. So what is my purpose for being on the planet? Your purpose, Tim, your purpose, Chad, your, your purpose, Sean, your purpose, Caleb, is to glorify God, to glorify him, to worship him, to glorify him. So Jesus, you didn't come to make this about me? No. No, it's not about you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made, but you hijacked it, jacked it up. Sin marred humanity. I came to give my life as a ransom to glorify the Father, to become the atoning sacrifice to redeem you. So you came to glorify the Father. What else, what else did you come to do? Oh, what else did I come to do? Romans 8, 29 says, to those he foreknew, he also predestined to conform them into his likeness. So you came to shape my life to be like you. Yeah. So what do we know about you? <laughs> well, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. not about you it's it's about me what what do we know about you well you know that I was homeless I wasn't broke but I was homeless I, I came to live as a homeless person foxes have holes birds of the air have nests that they can land in the son of man the son of man that is the son of God has nowhere to lay his head this is not my home no 
If you're going to follow me, you're going to have to understand that the only ideology and philosophical approach to life is to live as an alien and a stranger here because this home that you call home is not your home. Heaven's your home. Home? That's the reason when we celebrate the life of a true saint that walked with Christ, when they die, we go, they are finally home. Where's Skip? He's finally, flip, he's finally home. He's home. Hey, this wasn't home. This was just a dash. You, you, you going to follow me? Then you need to learn to live with eternity as your backdrop. You need to, to travel through life lightly. You need to realize, hey, you're going to get rejected. I mean, if they dog me and attack me, they're coming at you. So don't take it personal. The second thing we see in regards to Jesus' teaching here at the end is a true disciple will proclaim the gospel. He said to another one, hey, come and follow me. The guy goes, mm. but he said, permit me to go back home and bury my father. Jesus said, allow the dead to bury the dead, but it's for you go preach the kingdom of God. What was the guy's posture of heart? Hey, Jesus, I can't get there. I'm not willing to drop everything and hang out with you. I'm not willing to drop everything and go all in with you. Let me bury my father. You know that's a pretty ethical priority in our culture. And let me do that. Many scholars believe what he was really saying is, uh, you know, when Pops dies, I'm the oldest man. I get two-thirds of the inheritance. This is really a money move. I'm not willing to, I'm going to follow you. Let me tap into the earthly wealth first. And I think what we take from this, listen to me wherever you're at today. Have you surrendered to Christ? Is he your Lord, King, Master, and authority? Is he calling the shots? Have you released the range to him? I, I want you to think about this. Whatever reason and whatever excuse you try to leverage, even if it's a good one like, oh, I'm a family man. Jesus' demand is greater than family responsibility. And he's going, I want you to come now. Even the best human excuse doesn't work. What are you saying? When Jesus says, come follow me, nothing is to block, stop, hinder, derail, postpone becoming his disciple. God has been speaking to some of you. He's been chasing your heart. And he's like, now come. But we continue to leverage excuses as if we have this invincible mindset that I'm going to be here forever. You don't know how many more days you have. One of the questions that I asked myself in preparation of this is this. Missy, what rivals my allegiance to Jesus? What rivals your allegiance to Christ? What are the rivalries in your life that have become small g-gods that have developed almost this idolatry mindset where you go, that's a rivalry for me. Hey, 
you want to tap into following me, go preach the gospel. Go preach it. They're going to get mad at you. They're not going to like you. They're going to attack you. When they come out with all these agendas in our culture today, well, if you really love people, you would do. They're going to, they're going to get ticked at you anyway. Just keep preaching the gospel. They're going to shun you anyway. Keep preaching the gospel. They're going to attack you anyway. Share the gospel with them. They're going to attack you. God's given them some over to a reprobate mind. They're going to attack you. Preach the gospel. Go share the gospel. If you're going to really follow me, a true disciple chooses to leave the old life behind. Jesus said to another one, hey, come on. I, I, I want to follow you, Lord. But let me go tell my family and those people at home goodbye. Jesus says, no man after putting his hands to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Come follow me. Mm. Don't want to sever it yet. And what Jesus basically says is you cannot follow two things at once. You'll either worship God or you'll worship money. You'll either worship this life or you'll worship kingdom life. You'll either, you'll either worship one or the other. Hey, I want to follow you. You got some cool teachings and I even saw some of that stuff you did, some of the tricks and treats and the miracles. I'm not ready yet. Let me postpone it. And what Jesus is saying is, I didn't come to take part. I came to take over. I'm God. Even the Father has declared that I'm the chosen one that you should listen to me. And here's what we've come to realize over the years. I made a lot of emotional decisions at times that were not a commitment to a daily walk with the Lord. Whether it was in high school, whether it was in college, whether it was even those first few years of being in a professional baseball. God, emotional decision. I'll come to you if you'll let my arm feel better so that I can throw again. God, I'll come to you. I'll come to you if you let me get home tonight without getting a DUI. That didn't work for everybody in this room. <laughs> Ray, we prayed some of that stuff, dude, over the years. It was emotional. It was not faith. It was not surrender. It was rolling the dice one more day. And he's like, you can't have allegiance to two things. I want to be the central focus. It's a daily walk. And so as I wrap this time up, do you really have a yielded relationship to Christ? Where you go, he's calling the shots. He's my Lord. He's my master. I've repented. I've confessed. Yes, it's a fight some days. It's hard. It's a struggle. Chad, it's, it's hard for us some days. John Mark, we've talked about this here recently. I mean, it's a fight. Man, I'm at work. I'm trying to keep my eyes fixed on the Lord. Yes, I know. We're in this thing together. Stay with it. You can do it. But it's like the resolve of my heart is I want to honor you and glorify you in everything that I do. Have you really repented and surrendered?